the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. All right, this is Jim. We're going to record a pop-up episode with Jessica Birkin, right? Yeah, just Birkin. Just Birkin. 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 Got it. All right. Oh, I'm just sitting here. Um, I don't know if you're supposed to be driving. Mitch will probably get pissed at me. Let me pull up the map because we're trying to go back to the airport. All right. We're good. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Hey, it's Jim, Maximum Lawyer. This episode will not have Tyson on it because it's a pop-up episode that I shot down in Austin, Texas. I was down there with Mike Whalen for his Lawyer Forward event. I gave a little talk and I came across an attorney who I first met last year at CleoCon, actually on stage. She was presenting on building an information product. Her name is Jess Birkin. She was on stage with her and Megan Xavier, who we've had on the show before. And we had to take a car back to the airport. So we decided to shoot this, or I should say record, this pop-up episode. And I think you'll get a lot out of it. We talked about being a nonprofit lawyer. She's a lawyer for nonprofits, helping them with startups and other issues that arise for them. And then she talked about the info products as well. So I hope you enjoy it. All right, Jess, tell everybody about yourself. Hey, I'm Jess Birkin. I'm a lawyer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and my practice is focused on serving the nonprofit community. So I work with charities, pet rescues, churches, things like that. How did you get into that niche? The short answer is the recession. (laughs) Um, I was going to be a criminal trial attorney. And I was clerking for a judge right after law school, and then 2008 happened, and basically all the lawyer jobs were gone, and right. I realized I hated trial work, and so I went back to school and got a master's in nonprofit man- management, and I never thought that I would be a practicing attorney after that. Really? Yeah. And so what changed? I ended up getting a job at a national nonprofit organization where I used my law degree and my master's and eventually just ended up back in private practice. The The nonprofit job kind of was a dead end mm-hmm. and I wanted to do more and I knew I could help more people and, and do more things than just the one thing I was doing there. So I ended up leaving and joining with another lawyer and I was partnered with her for about three years before I hung my own shingle. So what time frame was that that you had a partner? About 2013. And then for three years? Yeah. And so when did you make the decision to go out on your own? 
March of 2016, so I'm coming up on my third year anniversary. And what was your plan? When I hung my own shingle? Correct. Uh, my plan was GTFO ASAP. Oh. And just <laughs> bring my book of business with me, and that was the plan. <laughs> Got it. Was she doing the same kind of law as you, or no? Yeah, roughly. She's a, more of a litigation-focused... I'm more transactional. I don't like to go to court. Well, I guess, I mean, when you were with her, were you still doing just nonprofits? Yes. Oh, okay. And so what does that mean to be a lawyer for nonprofits? What do you spend your time doing? So if you think, like, small business law with an extra layer of compliance, because nonprofits have special rules that apply to them due to their tax status... So it's really just, you know, a lot of contracts, a lot of real estate deals, a lot of general business operations, HR issues, and then, you know, special things like fundraising, government grants, PR issues, or avoiding PR issues. Of all those, what do you spend most of your time doing? What's your bread and butter? Um, I do a lot of startups, so I work with a lot of founders that are starting organizations. Do you enjoy that? I do. Why? Uh, do you, well, okay, so why I like my job is really because I get to leverage my skills to help somebody else do something good. Like, my skills are relatively boring, right? Like, reviewing a contract is like, wah, wah, whatever. <laughs> but if I'm leveraging my skills to advance this nonprofit mission, it's like I'm helping, like, lift them up so that they can go out and do good things. So it's really exciting to me to work with groups that are, like, coming out and doing something new. That's cool. When did you realize that that was something you enjoyed doing? Like, was there a moment? really just operating from like a gut reaction place you know once I sort of threw my whole career plan out the window with the recession it was like what's just what's the next right thing and so I kind of operated like that for a long time and then I started working with my marketing guy Leo and he's really the person who kind of got me to take a step back and understand why do I get up every day and do this stuff Sort of got you to your why? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And most lawyers I know don't do nonprofit law. In fact, you're the only person I've ever heard that specializes in it. I think there's probably a lot of dabblers. Are there a lot of dabblers? Oh, there's so many dabblers, and it's like, it's the worst thing. Why? <laughs> because, yeah, you know, it's like, I. well, we talked about this before, where it's like, if I needed heart surgery and I told you I was going to go to a brain surgeon, you would look at me like I was insane. But with lawyers, we do that all the time. And it's like, you know, both doctors are extremely smart, but they have a thing that they do. You know, and you, you wouldn't go to an immigration attorney and be like, hey, can you resolve my charitable solicitation issue for me? Like, no, <laughs> don't do that. No, no. So... I know that we talked last night about sort of lawyers serving on boards of nonprofits, and, and I'm sure that some of our listeners are either serving on boards or have been asked to serve on boards. Can you maybe give them some reasons why they can tell people, hey, 
I shouldn't be on a board and here's why. Well, I hate to tell people not to be on a board because nonprofit, the nonprofit sector really needs capable, talented, smart, savvy people on their boards. So I don't like to tell lawyers not to be on boards. I just like to educate lawyers about, like, remember that you have two hats on. And, like, when you're serving as a volunteer, I think people kind of forget that they're also the lawyer. And most lawyers don't join the board because they want to provide free legal. But most nonprofits want you on their board because they're expecting free legal. <laughs> so there's this weird miscommunication that often happens. And it's just important for attorneys to remember that you're going to end up creating an attorney-client relationship. And, you know, there are, you should take some measures to sort of safeguard against conflicts and stuff like that. Yeah, and I guess... It probably usually starts from the best of intentions, people wanting to help and all that kind of thing, and they probably feel obligated to, you know, and they just think to themselves, oh, it's just filling out a few forms to get this nonprofit started or to file their annual reports. But I guess, like with every dabbler, there's just lots of pitfalls. That sort of the old Don Rumsfeld, you don't know what you don't know. Yep, exactly. I actually have a, a Word document you can download from my website if you go to, I think it's at birkinlaw.com slash board service, but I'll give you the link. You can put it in your show notes. Okay. Um, but lawyers can go download this Word document, and it's a letter that you should give to your board chair that explains, like, hi, I'm so glad to be part of this board. Thanks for the opportunity. Let's talk about what my relationship with you as a lawyer looks like whether that's I'm not your lawyer I'm not doing any of that so please don't ask me to or I'm comfortable doing xyz things for you but I reserve the right to say this is outside my area and that's just a really good document to sort of like paper the file to help you sort of keep your rules clear make sure everybody's on the same page yep all right cool well, we're going to take a break because I have to get some gas before we hit the airport and then maybe we'll talk about the cool new stuff you have going on. Right on. All right, so we made it through security. And I didn't throw up in the car. Yeah, there was a motion sickness issue. We were sort of <laughs> low to the ground. It was a strange, what was it, a Maxima, a Nissan Maxima. I don't know, but that passenger seat does not get any taller, and that's just like a crime against humanity. It should be able to go higher. Jess was offended by the big dashboard on the car. Yeah, big dashboards can kiss my ass. <laughs> All right, so now we're going to talk about where I met you at Clio last year and what you've, you you were presenting at Clio because you've got some cool things going on. Do you want to tell everyone about that? Uh, some cool things going on. That's pretty specific. Um, <laughs> no, what I mean is that you and Megan presented on having a product to sell, an information product, right? Yes. And so... I think some of our listeners have dabbled with that or thought about that. I know I have for sure, and I keep putting it off. But what is it that you developed, and, and then how did you actually mechanically do that? Sure. So Megan and I, yeah, we presented on productizing your law firm or, or like basically just taking like the knowledge that's in your head and like turning it into something that you can sell or give away or you know like an online course or an ebook so Megan made this sort of like DIY self-represented 
lawyer's tool for if you have an ethics violation case. And I made something for my nonprofit clients. I've got an ebook that is basically like designed to help nonprofit founders get more information. And then I've got an online course that's really like the advanced education that I wish people had before they met with me. Because in my consultations, what I was doing was just, like, repeating the same things over and over again. You know, you have, like, the things that you have to tell everybody. And so the online course is sort of designed to, A, it's just good information no matter where you are in the country if you're thinking about starting a nonprofit. B, if you end up having a consultation with me, it's really, like, all of the things that get you ready to have the conversation with me so that I'm not wasting my time. But it stands alone on its own as an educational thing. Did you make that at first for your actual clients? No, actually. I had this whole concept that like I could find these people on the internet like through Facebook ads or something and nobody really explains like my original goal was like I'll put this out there and productize this knowledge that's in my head and then I'll sell it on the internet and make money while I'm sleeping Mm -hmm. and that'll be amazing and that would be amazing but it's actually really more work than you would ever anticipate to just go find people that are thinking about starting a nonprofit. so that was one of the unknown unknowns in that process So what has worked so far, that's now sort of on this, like, long, long trajectory. And What does that mean? It's just, like, it'll come, it's going to take a long time, you know, whatever. But the immediate sales are actually from my own website where people are in the decision-making phase of, like, I want to potentially hire Jess and they're purchasing one of my consultation packages and they are offered the course as a way to upgrade their paid consultation Mm -hmm. like hey do you want to get the most out of your hour with me well for $200 more upgrade your package with Founders Roadmap and spend 90 minutes learning all the things that you know it's like getting two extra lawyer hours for you know cheap and that's what's working Yeah, that's actually what's working, which makes a lot of sense because people are in the decision-making phase already. Like, they're already thinking, I want to talk to this lawyer, and so they're already finding me. I'm not going out trying to just, you know, in the ether, (laughs) speculate about who might be thinking about starting a nonprofit. That's actually harder to find than you would think. Yeah, it's not like you could search the divorce rolls and see who's filed for divorce or see who got arrested for DUI. It's sort of a hard group to identify. I wonder, have you ever tinkered around with, like, lead magnets? Like, I guess, you know, like a special report on how... I guess that's sort of what you're talking about. Yeah, and I've done, like, Facebook ads and landing pages. And Mm. at some point, it was like I was tanking myself financially chasing this thing. And it was just like, why don't I just offer this to the people who are already booking my consultations? That was an insight that actually came out of speaking at Clio. Because Megan and I did a podcast episode. And then it was like, why aren't I doing that? That's dumb. So now that's how I do it. And that's how it makes money. What percentage of people go for the upgrade? Probably 75%. And do you find those consults to be more benef- more fulfilling, more beneficial? 
Oh, 100%. Yeah, yes. Hands down. Because, so if they go through the online course and they've, they've gotten the education on, like, the basics about nonprofits, they've done the homework, hopefully, and then they're showing up with more advanced questions and I'm not spending the whole hour with them trying to teach them all of these like basics it's like no okay now you've really like made some decisions or thought about things and we can really get to the like real questions not just spend time with me saying like what's a nonprofit? how does that work how is it different than a for-profit why would you choose one what's a board of directors how does that work how's that different than owning your own company you know all that stuff took up so much time before. You and I were talking about our mutual admiration of Gary Vaynerchuk, and listeners to the show know I talk about him all the time. He's going all in on LinkedIn. He's He thinks it's a, a, a soft market, and he also thinks that there's people that are starting to spend more and more time on there. I wonder if you couldn't target people affiliated with nonprofits on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm sure I could. Um, but I don't... It, it sounds like you've learned your lesson. In... Well, the... the... You know, the problem, it's one of those, like, you got to spend money to make money. Right. And it's like, at this point, I'd rather put money into my subscription program and let Founders Roadmap kind of just be there and, like, let people upgrade as they come in and not chase. Because I don't, it doesn't make sense to spend thousands of dollars trying to make this thing go right now. All right, well, tell us about the, the subscription model. What is that and how does that work? So, because I... I'm a glutton for punishment. (laughs) (laughs) What actually happened was I had this boyfriend who dumped me in August of 2018. And I was 24 hours away from going to Lawyerist's LabCon, which is a three-day conference for legal innovators. And it's like this whole thing where you can reinvent your law practice. So I was like devastated, crying my eyes out, whatever. And I was like, well, I am not going to this conference and just crying my way through this so let's just set a goal and I'm gonna like dive in and do this thing and I had been thinking about doing subscription uh, services for a long time and I made it my goal to get that created at LabCon and so basically in three days I left with like the whole program framed out and so what I do is I offer flat fee services with a monthly uh, payment. Wait, so you did go to the conference, but you instead of crying your way through it, you went to work? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And so what did that process look like? What were you doing? At LabCon? Correct. Well, I was just like, okay, I'm going to be with like 70 of the like smartest legal innovators, marketers, like whatever. So I just, I just was like pushing myself to really think about like what is it how is it going to work what's the structure what am I offering like how do I make this a new product and not just you know because I think a lot of subscription services are just like you just pay for my services and I call it a subscription like I wanted to actually create something new so it was like framing up like what is that and like how do I what does it look like and what do I offer and how do I not go broke doing it? And like, what's the pricing and what's the name and what's the marketing strategy and all that stuff. Do you know our friend Joey Vitale? The name is familiar, uh, but... He has a subscription model for creatives. I should introduce you. Well, so how does it work? So I am Joe Blow and I just started XYZ Nonprofit. How does the subscription model work? 
Sure. So let's say you buy a nonprofit strategy session with me, you upgrade to Founders Roadmap, you're about to hire me because you think I'm amazing. You get an engagement letter and it basically says, hi, choose your own adventure. How would you like to work with me? You can go the traditional old hourly route and give me a very large retainer deposit up front. Or you can choose to work on a subscription model where you pay a flat monthly fee, you get this defined package of benefits, and you have the ability to purchase your legal services through a flat fee menu. Okay, so I can see how that would have appeal. I think people are always happier to pay money later more than they would be to pay it now. Yeah, and with especially with my startup clients, and I work with existing nonprofits as well, but with my startup clients, they take a long time. So they, you know, some of them, you know, it might take, I'm ready to go, but they, you know, they're working a full-time job. They're trying to squeeze this in on the side, all those things. So breaking it down into the smallest pieces, like just do the incorporation, then we're just going to do the bylaws. Then we're just going to do the IRS application that allows them to pace themselves and pay for it as they're ready. And it sort of puts the onus on them instead of me holding on to their four or five grand or whatever and chasing them around being like hello hello are you ready now i'm burning your retainer for nothing so you've eliminated that headache right that's good and how have people responded to it literally nobody has chosen hourly since i started doing this really yeah and is the monthly that is that lifetime so yeah i mean it's if There's, I lock in, it's... It's a month-to-month subscription. Okay. You can cancel at any time. I didn't want to screw around with making fe- people feel like they were trapped into legal services because right. I think we already have a negative association with attorneys anyway. So it's month-to-month, and then I, I claim that I will cancel you after 24 months if you haven't graduated out of the like startup founders level after two years, but... We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I don't right. know. Well, that's cool. That's exciting. And I think that everyone should think about alternative ways to skin that cat. And I'm sure if, if, you know, if no one else is choosing the old way, I think that's a big message for a lot of us. Yeah, and I mean, I've really worked hard to create something that's valuable. So it's not just like, oh, yeah, you get to talk to me and pay a flat fee for it. I built a whole website with, like, a huge library of documents. I put all of my best, you know, templates, basically, like my IP, like all of my documents in there. Like, if you need a policy or procedure for your nonprofit or you need guidance, I've got this huge library of, like, video content, whatever. So there's stuff in there. Um, It's not just basically paying for it access to me mm-hmm. so they're really i think seeing the value of like having the access to all of those things for a reasonable price awesome and for you it's scalable it doesn't cost you anything to have one more person right all right so we're here in austin waiting for our plane because we were both at mike whalen's lawyer forward conference which was great and one of the topics that i talked about and mike closed with was building a tribe and i'm wondering if you've thought about or have already built a community where your nonprofit board members sort of have the ability to talk to each other, because I think they might 
you know, obviously there's confidentiality things, but if you invite them to a Facebook group that's optional for them to join, I think it wouldn't take too long for them to start, you know, talking to each other about common problems. I, I think that might be a way to build a tribe. I've thought a lot about this, and I'm like, I want to do that because I see that that would be beneficial. And the nonprofit sector is so bad at cross-collaboration. Like, everybody in homelessness knows each other. Everybody in dog rescue knows each other. And nobody goes outside their little silo. So, but, like, what do I do if people are giving each other bad advice? Right? Like, do I have to be in there policing it? And then, like, do I... Then that's, like, lawyer-client stuff? I haven't quite figured out how to so I had I had that same concern when I started immigrant home our little Facebook group and it's not like deep thought in there it's more like hey I got my citizenship and everybody cheers I think most people and you're dealing with a more sophisticated clientele than I am I think I'm dealing mostly with immigrants and so every now and then somebody posts a legal question I've never had another community member answer that legal question and I usually just encourage them to come offline and email me directly and then I just delete the comment. So in a year and a half of having the group we've I've never had a problem and it's it's very, very low maintenance. And one thing that you'll find with the maximum lawyer group we found is that people begin to police themselves. So, you know, you get people contributing, you get good dialogues. I mean, we've we've had great ideas for podcasts that come out of the group. We've started to identify common problems and in immigrant home, you know, people will ask it's really sort of a support and news is all that it is. That's interesting. I kind of like that idea that I could just delete a comment if it was problematic. What I struggle with is like, how much time do you have to spend monitoring the communications in there? Not much at all. Okay, because that would be like, if that was a huge time suck, I'd be worried about that. I'd say 10 minutes a week and we have 800 members. Oh, dang. Yeah. Okay. Now, how about, last question. All right. So three years from now, where will you be and what will you be doing? Three years from now, if I listen to Mike Whalen, I will be branching my nonprofit subscription out across multiple states and nice. uh, le- like scaling. Well, what if you don't listen to Mike Whalen? What do you want to do? Where do you? Where, it, as we sit here today on January whatever it is, twenty seventh, two thousand nineteen, in twenty twenty two, where do you want to be? Well, I'd like to make more money and take more vacation, so I'd probably listen to Mike. (laughs) All right, cool. We're going to wrap with that. Thanks for coming on, Jess. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jess Birkin or online at hackyourpractice.lawyer. And it's J-E-S-S and then it's B-I-R-K-E-N, right? All right, cool. All right, everybody. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.